Good morning. Man, you guys can do better. I heard the singing. I'm serious. It's like, that's so weak. This is my last speaking for 2018. It's bittersweet. It's been an amazing year. 193 days on the road this year. Thank you all for letting me come back. So let me try this again. Good morning. Thank you. I sincerely do appreciate you all letting me come back. Anybody remember the last time I was here? First time was about eight years ago. Um, last time, I think it was almost two years ago now, so it's been a while. It took that long to forget how bad it was last time. So um, those of you that haven't heard me speak before, you just might as well put your seatbelts on because it's going to get interesting. It's going to be a bumpy ride. Uh, this talk this morning is one that I honestly don't like to give, and I'm just telling you that right from the very beginning, but it's one that I think is totally necessary. The name of the ministry is Reasons for Hope, and I tell everybody there's lots of reasons for hope, but there's only one that will never leave you and forsake you, and you sang about him two songs ago, Jesus, our only living hope. So whenever you see our name, you'll always see the asterisk, because the asterisk leads to the answer, Jesus. I think I have three spaces left. Talk, think about coming out and digging dinosaur bones with me in Glendive, Montana, in July. Guys, I, I just show this to you because you're close enough that you guys could come out and actually do this. I'm a firm believer that our faith needs to be active in the real world. So I love taking people out to museums. Like I'll be training in Chicago Field Museum this year in April. We take 100 people, rent a room in the Chicago Field Museum, train, go up, and use their exhibits to teach. Oh, yeah. It's awesome. But I like doing that with the dinosaurs as well because I want folks to see for themselves what the Word of God says, what we see in the world, which one makes the most sense, God's Word or man's opinion. So think about it. Join me out there. I told you, 193 days on the road this year. It's been amazing. One of the cool places that I've got to go to over the last about five years is Molokai, Hawaii. It was ministry. Thank you very much. But it was very good ministry, and I enjoyed the uh, downtime as well. I won't lie to you. But when I was at Molokai a few years ago, I went outside, and I took this picture, and i got to show this to you. Take this picture outside, and, 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 and I walked back in, and I showed it to my wife who was with me, and uh, my assistant and her husband were with me, and I showed this. And my assistant looked at this picture, and without skipping a beat, she said, what a great picture of the cross. I didn't see the cross when I took the picture. I'm just telling you right now, my whole focus had been on the rainbow. Guys, sometimes things can be right there in front of us, and we miss them. That same year, I got to go to speak in Saskatoon, Canada. Anybody here of Saskatoon, Canada? Okay. The last two sessions, man, people were cheering for Saskatoon, Canada. I was like, really? I never heard of it until I went there, but it was awesome ministry when I got there. I had a really neat time. But the unbelievable thing is that when I came back, I was watching the news, and they had a news report about a police car chase in Saskatoon, Canada. Did you guys hear it, see it? No? I got a copy of it. You got to watch this. Police car chase, Saskatoon, Canada. You guys didn't see that on the news? That's big news, man. No, truth be told, that's actually a Canadian Midas Tire commercial. But when I saw it, by now, those of you that haven't heard me speak before, you know I'm weird. Uh, by the way, God calls us to be a peculiar people. We should be weird. Just be weird for the right reasons, okay? I see that, and my mind was this. It's like, okay, that's an easy day at the office for the police officer, Right? protect and serve. Bad guy stuck six foot in front of you and he's pushing his car. All you got to do is walk up. You're under arrest. No, he got out and he pushed his car. Two points I want to make to you. Things can be right there. We miss them. Things can be easy and we make it hard. So keep that in mind because now I'm going to challenge you. And I told you, I honestly do not like giving this talk, but I think it's one that in our world today, we've got to address this issue. I call it, whose voice are we listening to? Now, does anybody know what I'm alluding to with my little logo of the voice up there? Anybody? Anybody? Okay, be honest. Who in here, other than myself, watches that TV show? Anybody? Thank you. It's always nerve-wracking because what show? 
This is one of my favorite TV shows in full disclosure. I honestly like it because the people are nice. I'm so tired of meanness and nastiness. These folks are nice. So those of you that have not seen the show, it's a singing show, I know, but it's okay. Um, so you've got these four judges who are famous, all right? They're famous and they're well, they're great singers. And uh, to start off with, when uh, people come out, it's a competition, the judges will have their back to the person that's up on the stage. And so the person that's trying to get on the show will sing. And if the judge likes what they hear in the voice, they'll turn around and ask them to get onto their team. And there's some competition involved. But what I like about that is that we put such an emphasis on the exterior. They want the voice. They want that quality. And I like that because, guys, we just sure live in a time where everybody wants to change this outside, try to look good on the outside, and on the inside, we're dead. We're just dead. Look, by the way, you know somebody that you want to change the outside on? You don't like what's going on, on the outside? Get the heart. Because you know what happens once God gets the heart? Exterior will change because of interior. Trust me. So they get them on their team. So you've got the, you've got the premise of the show. Now, here we are. We're at the final eight. They got a bunch of people to start off with, whittle them down, whittle them down. People sing a song. You got to get people to vote on you. This is not a Christian program. Full disclosure, it's not a Christian program. We're at the final eight in this season. Okay, the four judges, like I said, they're famous people, uh, great voices and all that sort of a thing. The final eight, a gentleman comes out and he chooses a song that, now at this stage, song choice is just as important if not more important, honestly, as the voice. Because if you've got a great voice and you choose a bad song, you're done. And you don't get a second shot. You're gone, okay? So I want you to take a listen to this song that this gentleman chose. Final eight, non-Christian program, coming out, knowing he's got to get people in the, that are watching this show to vote on him. Take a listen to what he's saying. On a far away Stood an old rugged cross the emblem of suffering and shame How I love that old cross Where the dearest and best For a world of us sinners was slain Take some guts to go out on this secular program and sing the old rugged cross, knowing you got to get people watching this show to vote on you. Take some guts. Man, that's weak. Did I take some guts? Yes. You better believe it did. But this isn't the voice that I'm talking about. I want to talk about a different voice today. John 10, 22 to 26. I'm going to scan through this real quickly. The Jews gathered around Jesus and were saying to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. I want to make a point to you. I genuinely, honestly believe that nobody was more plain spoken than Jesus. Yes, he spoke in parables. I, I, I admit that. Um, but he was very plain spoken. And he had already answered this question. I want to prove that to you by going to the next verse. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me, but you don't believe me because you're not of my sheep. You see, Jesus had already told them the answer. And so those of you that are the note takers inside your, your program, there's a sheet of paper that's got some questions in there. If you want to take that out, I'm going to start hitting some of those blanks in there now. Here's a point that I want to make to you today. It's not that we don't hear. It's not that they didn't hear it. They'd already heard it. They had already heard it. The problem is, is that we don't like what we hear. And so I told you I don't like doing this talk because I don't want you to think that I'm coming in here to chuck stones at you. I talk about things that I personally struggle with because I figure if I'm going to deal with things that I struggle with, it's going to be real, it's going to be honest, and some of you will relate to it. So this isn't an attack at you. 
But this is what I want to point out to you. It's not that we don't hear. It's like we don't like what we hear. And so I am that person. When somebody says something to me that I don't like, I have my mechanisms. I have my tools that I use to overcome that. And one of them is uh, make excuses. And full disclosure, if there's something about me that you don't like, I have a reason why I do it. And if I don't, I will make one up because I'm very good at it. I've got a lot of experience in making up excuses. Number two, strike out in anger. Oh, am I that guy? You ever experienced it? You say something to somebody and what's the response back? Well, you think you're better than me and you're this and you're that. Because you see, we want to deflect. That's me. Full disclosure. Do nothing. Hide. See, these are the mechanisms that I use when somebody says something to me that I don't want to listen to, that I don't want to hear. Watch what happens here. Starting at 27 now. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Oh, by the way, I must make this point. No one will ever snatch them out of my hand. We live in a time where I hear people who are questioning, oh, you know, you know, salvation, maybe I'm saved. Maybe. Look, I got to be blunt with you. If you have received the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have repented and you have turned your life over to him, you are saved. And there is nobody that can take you out of his hand. That is a guarantee that you can take to the bank. If you write that on a sheet of paper, you put it in your wallet, you take that with you. This is not man's promise. Man's promise is always looking for workarounds. I told the first couple groups, I said, I bought a car, a brand new car when I was still an air traffic controller and I could afford to buy a new car. I bought a new car and I bought the bumper to bumper warranty thinking, yes, I'm good. Within two weeks, I got a flat tire. So I took that car back to the dealer I said, got a flat tire. I'd like to get it fixed. And he looks at it and says, oh, we, we can't fix that. I said, uh, yes, you can. I, I bought a bumper-to-bumper -bumper warranty, and the tire is in between the two bumpers. And so, and he looked, and he said, well, no, we can't because you didn't read the fine print. And the fine print clearly says that we, we don't fix sidewall flats. We can only fix flats on the bottom of the tire, so you've got to buy a new tire. Two-week-old car. You see, man's always looking for loopholes to get out of something. That's not God. As a matter of fact, God is sealing his stamp so much that nobody can take you out of his hand that he's coming and he's dying on a cross while we're spitting on him. Don't let anybody ever lie to you. And he continues on, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hands. I and the father are one. Let me ask you, is that plain? Tell us plainly, are you the Christ? Is that plain? I still can't hear you. Thank you. Questions require responses, okay? That's plain. So what do you think the response was from the people asking the question? Thank you, Jesus. Oh, we appreciate you clarifying that for us. We've really wondered about that one. Thank you very much. You think that's how they responded? Guys, I love this church. I mean that sincerely. I spoke here, as I said, eight years ago, uh, close to that now for the first time. I still watch uh, Pastor Mike's teachings. I watch what you guys are doing. I'm excited about your outreach over there, the new building, the new school Things are moving. Boise, I'm, I'm introducing friends of mine in Boise to you guys. I love what y'all are doing. You have a good, solid Bible teaching church. Praise God for that. You know that's not the response that he got, is it? What did they get? Picking up rocks, going to kill him. They pick up rocks and they want to kill him. And Jesus is like, so what good work are you killing me for? Oh, no, no, no. We're not killing you because of good works. We're killing you because you being a man, make yourself out to be God. Did they hear? Oh, yeah, they heard. They didn't like what they heard. And I'm going to say to you, that's a part of the problem that we have today in our culture. And a part of the reason why we don't like what we hear, I think, is because whose voice are we listening to? And one of the biggest challenges that I see going on is that there's so many voices coming after us. And one of the major tools being used in the culture today is to get a group of people who claim the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior to doubt the very word that he gave us that is our foundation for everything. And one of the questions that they'll really come after or one of the issues they'll really come after is truth. Have any of you ever heard a statement like, oh, there is no truth, there's your truth, there's my truth, whatever, right? Truth is relative. Anybody ever hear a statement like that? Anybody? Oh, good, a few of you. Good. Whew. Then let me ask you this question. Would you like me to attempt to give an answer to that statement? Yeah. You would? Okay. Um, how many of you heard me speak before? 
You remember the debunked videos? Anybody remember the debunked videos? Okay. Um, one person remembered. They're very impactful. <laughs> the rest of you, put your seatbelts on because we're about to pick the pace up. Okay? Mature generation, I'm telling you right now, this is not for you. This is for your child and your grandchild. Millennials think different. Younger generation think different. They have a 2.2 second attention span. They have a shorter attention span than a goldfish. And that is not a joke, that is the scientific research. So I made a decision to go after younger generations. So we do a series of videos called Debunked, where we take claims and issues and questions and we debunk them. So we're gonna debunk the claim that there is no truth. So put your seatbelts on, cause I'm picking up the pace here just a little bit, okay? A telling thing happened a while back when Jesus was standing in front of Pontius Pilate. It's right here in the Bible, John 18, 36. Jesus says to him, for this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Now, Pilate says this, wait for it. He says, what is truth? Shabam, there it is, the big kahuna, the spicy enchilada, the fizzy lifting drink, the question of the ages, and it's not much different today, which is why you hear claims like it's true for you, but not for me, or there is no truth, or truth is relative, bro, or the ever so popular speak your truth. Now, these things all sound nice and sweetie sweet, but what in the world do they mean? Well, let's take it's true for you, but not for me. Now, in all honesty, doesn't the person who says this to you want you to believe what he's saying? He's assuming that his relativistic claim is universally true, right? Everything is relative, I guess, except his relativism. Now, if something can only be true for me, which it can't, then it doesn't apply to you or anyone else, so what's the point in saying it? But if it is true for everyone, then the claim is wrong because it's only claiming to be true for me and not for you. Get it? Okay, maybe it's not clear right this second, but things that contradict themselves, like this claim, cannot be true. What about the claim there is no truth? Oh, yet another statement that demolishes itself by its own standard. After all, is that claim true? If so, it's wrong. If the claim is not true, then it's true that the statement there is no truth is not true, which means there is truth, which makes the claim false. Moving on to the popular speak your truth. I gotta ask you in all seriousness, is there really your truth and my truth? Truth is what is. It corresponds to reality. It's black and white, either or, fact kind of stuff, right? Tiny Tammy tossed the toy pterodactyl tenderly into the Thames that Tuesday, or she didn't. It's pretty simple, really. Truth is truth, and it doesn't change with a pronoun. Now, you might disagree and throw your hands up in objection, that is, until, of course, you are on the receiving end of a lie. I'm sorry, somebody else's truth that contradicts reality. Let's say you deposited $100 into the bank yesterday, but the banker's truth is that you didn't. Your sweet hundo, gone. Oh no. Let's say you got every answer on every test right, but the teacher's truth is that you flunked the whole grade. Now you have to repeat it. Your summer, gone. See, I think you get it. And I think you'd be fighting pretty hard for the truth, you know, the thing that corresponds to reality in those specific scenarios, because lies, I'm sorry, other people's truths that aren't true have huge consequences. Relativism is not only flawed, it's unlivable and unsustainable. And let's be honest, nobody wants a relative answer when they ask a real question, especially if it's directions to a gas station when you have to go to the bathroom. But wait a second, what if I say, my favorite candy is M&Ms, and you say your favorite candy is Snickers? See, what's true for me is not true for you in that sense, right? Well, actually, wrong. See, I'm saying it's true that my favorite candy is M&M's, and you are saying it's true that your favorite candy is Snickers. We're simply stating the truth about our preferences. Now, you gotta watch out for preferences, beliefs, and opinions trying to sneak their way into Truth's exclusive club. After all, you can prefer that you have a blue hat when you only have a white one, but it doesn't change the facts. You can believe the moon is made out of cheese, but it doesn't make it true. And it might be your opinion that five plus five is actually 13, but you'd be wrong. See, tricky word games don't change the truth. They get you nowhere. As Double Dubs would say, you get nothing, you lose. Good day, sir. But what about morality? Ah, that's the big one. One person thinks it's wrong to commit adultery, and another thinks it's not. So the one might say, I'm glad you have your truth, baby, but it doesn't work for for me. First of all, what you think about the truth doesn't change it. A thing is either true or not, even moral duties and obligations. Second, truth is not dependent on the subject, that is you or me. It's objective. So whether it works for us or not doesn't change what's actually true. Third, since these two claims are in direct opposition to one another, only one can be true. This is the irrefutable, unstoppable, unbreakable, incontrovertible law of non-contradiction smashing through the nonsensical, irrational, and weak wall of hocus-pocus relativism. And curiously, here we are today right where Pilate was, having to deal with the one who calls himself the way, the truth, and the life, claiming that no one gets to the Father, that is God, except through him. That's either true or it's not. 
And we can either deal with it head on or we can, like Pilate and like Romans declares, suppress the truth and unrighteousness, which leads us to make claims like what's true for you is not for me. Truth is relative. There is no truth, etc., etc., all of which heretofore have been debunked. Adios. I know, I know. There was way too much information. I couldn't get that. Intentionally so. The whole goal when making these things was to put more information in there than you can take in a single setting. But let me follow it back up then. Let me ask you this. Was it done well enough that you would watch it again? Was it done well enough that you'd be willing to share it with somebody, even a lost person, and not be embarrassed because it's cheesy Christian stuff? Okay? Uh, if I give it to you for free, would you use it? Take your smartphone out. 90% of you have one, so go ahead. It's okay. Pastor Mike's not here. I won't tell him. <laughs> Take it out and text truth for compass. Text that, that little phrase, to 51555, and you're going to get a link where you can download that brand new truth. This is the first church that I've shared that video with. It's brand spanking new. I'm not releasing it to the public until the first week in January. February, we're releasing uh, the debunk that's dealing with Christians shouldn't judge. Ever hear that one? That's a bunch of bunk. Wait till you hear the answer on that one. Uh, how about, and then uh, we're doing, oh, it can't be a God because of all the suffering and evil that we see in the world. Ever hear that one? Yeah, we're dealing with that one in March and April resurrection there's no evidence for resurrection so for the next four months we are one a month we're releasing these things please pray for us take this put it to use i want you to have it and now that you've got your smartphone out when you're done with texting that thing go to your app store and type in reasons for f-o-r hope download our app just look for the asterisks that blue asterisks it's free of charge i'm not trying to sell you Download the app because the other eight debunked are on there free of charge. I want you to have tools to engage people in conversations. Please take them and put them to use. We live in a time that just thinks different. And a part of the reason is because of the voice that's having the biggest impact on us. And I'm going to deal with some of those voices today. Media is one of the major voices. Think about the internet. Do you understand, parent, the average time a young person spends in school is 900 hours a year. The average time a young person spends in school is 900 hours a year. That same young person then, uh, think about this, according to New York Times, if your child's awake, ages 8 to 18, they spend seven and a half hours a day on a smart device, on the internet. And which, by the way, that doesn't count the texting and the talking. If you add everything up, because younger generation is much better at multitasking than me, like right now I'm multitasking, I'm walking and talking. I'm older, okay? Younger generation, they're talking, they're texting, they're driving, they got music, and they got a game going somewhere, okay? So they spend 11 hours a day in media. This is a voice. And if you don't think it's having an impact, boy, you're not, you're not watching very hard. Let me, let me ask you this. Number two killer of teenage young ladies in America, the most Christian nation on the planet, is suicide. Number one cause of suicide is anxiety and depression. Number one cause of anxiety and depression is, let's deal with it. According to Dr. Carolyn Leaf, teens are exposed to eight and a half hours on average of electronic media per day. Eight and a half hours, okay? And then, according to the Archives of General Psychiatry, this increased simultaneous exposure to electronic media during the teenage years is associated with an increase in depression and anxiety. I'm going to make a statement that's going to tick some of you off, and that's okay. You prove me wrong, I'll retract it. But I'm going to stand by it until you can prove me wrong. We are putting the drug into our children's hand that is destroying their lives. This is a drug. <laughs> Guys, there's no way to, parents and grandparents, we can't run from this issue anymore. It's one of those, you know, there used to be these issues, oh, I don't really understand that, I'll oh, just go talk to somebody. This is not that issue. You have got to be engaged in this issue. This is increasing anxiety and depression, which is leading to suicide. We have an epidemic in our country of children that are killing themselves. And instead of medicating, may I make the suggestion that the first place we start is with this thing. Oh, but they'll get mad at me. And I say, that's fine. That's your job as the parent. It's in the fine print. My job is to make my child mad. That's my job. Just make them mad at the right things. This isn't about being a jerk. This isn't about being arrogant. Young person that's hearing me, oh, man, this guy's a jerk. No, you've got to understand, when I as a parent see something that is impacting my child's life to the point 
that it is going to have major impact on their life, you better believe dad's getting involved. We have got to pick the ball up and start dealing with this. We can't pass this down, kick this can down the road anymore. All right? Norway, the Bergen Facebook addiction scale was developed in response to research showing that addiction to social media is proving to cause the same damage in the brain as addiction to alcohol and cocaine and is as addictive as drugs, alcohol, and chemical substance abuse. We are paying for the drug in our children's hands. There's not a parent or a grandparent in this room that if they had a child or grandchild that was suffering with alcohol or cocaine, that they would do everything in their world to get them off of that drug. We pay to put it in their hands. Monthly. I'm not trying to be disrespectful, guys. Don't run from this issue anymore. According to a lady named Twinge, last name Twinge, San Diego uh, State University Psychology, I believe is her department. She's the head of it. She wrote a book. You want to read this book? You want to read this book. Okay? Not some fundamentalist Christian that's here. And by the way, do you think I'm in here telling you that you need to get rid of your phone and throw it out? No. I just told you to text me so I can send you a video. I'm saying be aware of the power that this thing has. And don't let it control you. You control it. And yes, there are times when there are certain individuals that don't need it. Five, six, seven, eight-year-old kids with $1,000 phone. Are you kidding me? Why? Because Billy down the street's got one? Not in my house. Gene Twinge. It's a 22-word title. I can't tell you the full title, but I'll give you a word that you can search and you'll find it. I, letter I, Gen, G-E-N. I, Gen, Twinge. You read that book. The research will blow your mind. This is uh, some excerpts from an article that she did in The Atlantic. Rates of teen depression and suicide have skyrocketed since 2011 when these things exploded, by the way. It's not an exaggeration to describe iGen as being on the brink of the worst mental health crisis in decades. Much of this deterioration can be traced to their phones. There is compelling evidence that the devices we've placed in the young people's hands are having profound effects on their lives and making them seriously unhappy. One of the ironies of iGen life is that despite spending far more time under the same roof as their parents, today's teens can hardly be said to be closer to their mothers and fathers than their predecessors were. Quote, I've seen my friends with their families. They don't talk to them, unquote, Athena told me. Quote, they just say, okay, okay, whatever, while they're on their phones. They don't pay attention to their family, unquote. Like her peers, Athena is an expert at tuning out her parents so she can focus on her phone. Experienced it? Seen it? Walked into the restaurant, family of four, every one of them got their face in a screen and not a one of them talking to each other. It's a drug. And parent, it's just as much a drug for us as it is for our child. And when our child see, see us with our face stuck in it and we're not talking to them, they're getting it. I'm not attacking you. But we have to address the issue. It's a voice that's having an impact on a culture. 50 to 88% of the young people raised in the church gone by the time they're age 18. Teens, this is, not, this is not some fundamentalist trying to tell you to go be a separatist and hide out in the mountains somewhere. Teens who spend more time than average on screen activities are more likely to be unhappy. And those who spend more time than average on non-screen activities are more likely to be happy. There's not a single exception. If you know a child, have a child that is suffering with anxiety and depression, may I honestly, I'm not telling you to, I'm saying start here. If you were going to give advice for happy adolescents based on this survey, it would be straightforward. Put down the phone, turn off the laptop, and do something, anything that does not involve a screen. I am very happy to be out of the parenting business right now because my children are 36 and 35. I do have five grandchildren, so I'm assisting the parents, but I'm not the primary parent anymore, right? I love that position. I'm a much better grandparent than I was a parent. It's much easier. But I'm going to tell you right now, if I had a child today and they had a phone, that phone would be so dumb, you couldn't even text on it. <laughs> I'm telling you, because I want them to learn how to spell, and you has a Y and an O somewhere in there, okay? <laughs> and when you come in that house, that dumb phone is going in the basket by the door. That's it. And excuse me, is there a parent, grandparent in this room that would allow your child, your grandchild to go into their locked bedroom with a stranger and you not know what's going on in there? Is there? Is there? You're a fool if you do. 
And by the way, we do it every time. We let them walk into the room with their phones and their smart pads and their iPads and the Kindles and the... You don't have a clue who they're with. I don't understand it. Throw the hands up. Walk away. You can't do that anymore. This is not that tool. You can't run from this. So I don't want to be just a negative guy. Oh, take it away. Hey, maybe it's going to require taking it away. Maybe. But if you're going to let your child have one, then let me give you just a couple things. Try something like covenant eyes. Let you know what's going on. I don't think it's the best, but it's an option. To me, the best, and I'm just going to tell you, and it's not like I get a cut from it, it's something called circle. Disney makes this thing. Disney makes something good? Yeah. Circle. Every smart device, every computer in your home runs through yours. You're the master. You know where everybody goes. You know how much time they're spending, where they're spending. By the way, you can set the time from 7.33 to 7.35. That's your two minutes of internet for the week. Bing. Done. And by the way, you don't get those two minutes if the chores aren't done. Yes, you control it. And there's no workarounds on it. The guy who gave this one to me, he's a big IT techie guy, and he travels all the time. So maybe you're one of these traveling people, and oh, it won't work for me. Yes, it will. Because now you take Circle and you combine it with a thing called Circle Go, and you can control it from wherever you are on this planet, as long as you're hooked into the series, the system. And he said, Carl, there's no workaround because if my child comes in and tries to unplug his phone to go into this, every phone goes down. Every computer goes down. He said, I found out the hard way. Phone goes down. <laughs> so guys, this is a tool. It's just a suggestion. If you're going to let your child be in this world, that's between you and the Lord, get involved. This is a possible tool for you. How about television? There's a voice. You know the average time uh, people spend in America watching TV is five hours a day. Five hours a day. How many hours in school? 900 hours a year. How many uh, hours watching TV? If you do the math, that comes out to 1,064 hours a year of watching TV. More time watching TV than we spend in school. Huh. What are we watching? From 2018, top watch television programs in 2018. Um, I'll do the 2019 in the three days once we're all done with this stuff here. Game of Thrones, Walking Dead, Westworld, American Horror Story. In full disclosure, I have never seen a full episode of any one of those programs. I have seen a minute and a half of one of them because a guy said, Carl, you got to watch this program. It's got such a great storyline. It's so well done. You're going to love it. I lasted a minute and a half, and I'm embarrassed that I lasted that long, to be honest with you. I'm just being honest with you. Game of Thrones, never seen an episode of it, but I did research because I wanted to know what these are about. And this is what I read from a secular person. Rape has become so pervasive in the drama that it is almost background noise, a routine and unshocking occurrence. Christian, may I ask you a humble question? Why would I as a Christian want to sit and watch something that makes rape a common occurrence? We wonder why we live in a time where there's such meanness and nastiness and such a disrespect for life. What are we filling ourselves with? Matthew 6, the eye is a lamp of the body, so then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. What you let in, you know this is true. What you let in will work its way out. 1 Corinthians 15, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Let me be blunt with you. 11 hours a day of social media... 1,064 hours a year of TV, of Game of Thrones, Walking Dead, and all that stuff, that is bad company, and it's having an impact. And by the way, this is the question I ask myself. I'm not chucking stones at you. If my grandchild comes into the room and I'm watching TV and I'm, and I'm scrambling for the remote to get it off real quick because they shouldn't be seeing what's on there, why am I watching it? This is what I asked me. I'm not chucking stones at you. It's a voice, guys. Now I really get to make the younger generation mad at me. They don't like me, especially now, because games. How many hours in school? 900. How many hours watching TV? 1,064. How many hours playing video games? You do the math, it's 936 hours a year playing video games. That's more time than in school. As a matter of fact, let's get specific on this, all right? The amount of time a young person spends watching video games. Watch this number here. Watch this number, okay? 
the average young person racks up 10,000 hours of gaming by the age of 21 or 24 hours less than they spend in a classroom for all of middle and high school if they have perfect attendance. You don't think there's any messages in there? Let me take you to one of the top-selling games, Assassin's Creed. No messages, it's just a game. No, it is a tool that's being used to educate and indoctrinate, quite frankly, a generation. One of the side uh, missions that you can do is one where you as the assassin, you get to go in and actually save Jesus and pull him off the cross. Jesus didn't die on a cross? Come on, that's, that's an old fairy tale stuff. They actually saved him and pulled him off the cross. Another one is uh, where you get to play a side mission where you get to help poor old Charles Darwin because Charles Darwin is under attack. Those mean old Christians, they're just trying to kill Darwin and anybody that follows him. Here's the Christians chasing down one of the supporters. Got to kill him because, you see, Darwin's theory will destroy the very fabric of our society. That's what the game says. So the Christians are killing them. And in another scene, they walk up and they can't buy a newspaper now because the, news, the, the newsboy is dead. And I'm not talking about the band. I'm talking about the little boy that sells the newspaper. The news, newsboy is dead because the Christians are killing the newsboys for selling the papers that are teaching evolution. By the way, hear my heart. Hear my heart. 900 hours a year in a school, 80 to 85% of the young folks in the church go to a government school that's taught to think like the world, okay? 1,064 are watching TV. How many programs can you name where Christians are depicted as anything other than closed-minded, intolerant, bigoted, opinionated, money-hungry, grubbers, connivers? reinforced with 936 hours of video games where Jesus didn't die. The Christians are killing it. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? You wonder why we live in a culture that doesn't want anything to do with Christianity because they have a voice that's teaching them what Christianity is, and it's not what Christianity is. But by our silence, that becomes Christianity by default. I'm not even going to go down the Grand Theft Auto line. Forget about that. We won't even go there even though it sold 80 million copies as of about three months ago and made over $3 billion. It's a voice that's having an impact. And by the way, when you get done watching The Walking Dead, you can now play the game and go do what you saw done and you get to do it yourself. You don't just have to watch it. My son came to me a couple of years ago. He's 35, as I said to you. And he said, Dad, I'm getting rid of TV. Did Dad have to go to his son and say, hey, you need to get rid of TV, you got a problem? No. Parent, let me be very blunt with you. If you don't teach your child how to own their faith and if all you're teaching them is to regurgitate what you, regurg what you give to them, you got nothing. Your child has to own it. Because once they own it, then they're going to make decisions based on what they own, not based on what dad said to do or what mom said to do. They have to own it. He said, Dad, I took a sheet of paper. Parent, I'm asking you to do this first. Take a sheet of paper, draw a line down the middle, line at the top, left side. Time spent glorifying God, right side. Time spent in the world. My son said, I took that, Dad, and for one week I tracked how much time I spent reading the Word, how much time I prayed, how much time I was in fellowship with other believers. And he said, on the other side, I tracked. He said, Dad, I got a problem. So TV's gone. I took the test, and guess what? I still have a TV because I watch The Voice. But when I walk into hotels, I spent 193 days on the road uh, this year. The TV does not come on. Carl's got a problem. Look, guys, start here and then work your way down. This is just a tool for you to try. I didn't like what I saw. How about another voice? Here's a voice. This is a good voice. News. Hey, I love the news. That's one of the things I watch on TV. But how about this one? This is kind of a funny one. Uh, anybody remember Dear Abby? Anybody? Yeah, yeah. This is the uh, middle aged and up gang here. We know. <laughs> we remember Dear Abby. Young people are like, who? I go to England, right? I speak over in England. England has a version of Dear Abby, the advice giver, but her name is Ogony Aunt. Okay, I can't pretend to do the British accent. I'm an old country boy. I can't do that. But Agony Aunt can feel your pain. Agony Aunt was on TV, and I got this clip, and they asked her a question, and it was, can a mother love their child so much that she decides to abort it rather than to give it birth? Okay, can a mother love their child so much 
that they decide to abort it. I want you to hear her response because you've got to understand something. Worldview impacts the way that we live our lives, and you need to hear the impact of worldview. Listen. True, no, and I think that um, if I were a mother of a, a suffering child, I would be the first to want, I mean, a deeply suffering child, I would be the first to want to put a pillow oh, over its face. Don't. Okay. Can a mother love her child so much that she decides to abort it rather than to give it life? And the response is, if I had a child, a deeply suffering child, the first thing I'd want to do is put a pillow over its face. Hello? Nobody think that's kind of odd? Why would she think that? Because I want you to listen to the next clip here. As I would with a, you know, any suffering thing. And I think the difference is that my uh, uh, feeling of... of Horror, suffering, is much greater than my feeling of uh, getting rid of a couple of cells. Do you understand that what you believe about where you come from impacts the way that you live your life? If there is a God and his word is true, then guess what? Every person on this planet, including you sitting here today, you are created in the image of God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are amazing. While you were spitting on God, he was loving you enough to come and die on a cross. You want value, you want worth. Nothing can give you more value and worth than that, that while you're rejecting God, he's dying for you. But if you get rid of that history, you've got to understand that history is replaced with, oh, Darwin's going to destroy the whole fabric of society. I believe that, but I'm not going out and killing people that don't believe in God. I'll talk with them. I'll challenge them to think. But if there is no God, where does your value come from? How pretty are you? How smart are you? How talented are you? Why do we have a generation that I believe genuinely suicide, number two killer in the most Christian nation on the planet because they've been deceived into thinking that their value comes from how pretty, how smart, how talented. And ladies, specifically to you, if you think your value is based on how well you look compared to billboards and what you see in magazines, you cannot live up to it because it doesn't exist. It's not real. It's photoshopped. It's not real. And America, the most Christian nation on the planet, we spend a billion, that's a B, billion dollars a year in the most Christian nation on the planet for plastic surgery, cutting something off, sucking something out, stuffing something in to look like what doesn't even exist. Do not be lied to by the world. Your value has nothing to do with the exterior. It has everything to do with the fact that you're created in the image of God. If you lose that history, it changes everything. I hope there's no good mothers in here by her definition. Please take a listen to her final statement. I'm sorry, I was just about to introduce another guest there, but that was a, that's a pretty horrifying thing what? to say. That you would put a pillow over there. Of course I would, if it was child. a child I really loved who was in agony. I, I think any good mother would. I led, a group through, I led a group through Israel, and we went through the Holocaust Museum, and I saw this statement there, and it really struck me. A country is not just what it does, it is also what it puts up with, what it tolerates. And Christian, I'm going to say to you, we have tolerated far too long a culture teaching a generation that their value is based on something other than the fact that they are created in the image of God, that God's word is not true and it doesn't have any hope for them. We have hope, real hope. His name is Jesus. Here's a voice, the family. Now that's the voice that we really need to... You know, the family is an extremely important voice. Here's some research for you, though. The American Family and Crisis Research by the Southern Baptist Council on Family Life uncovered some disturbing facts. The majority of children in America have fewer than 10 minutes of significant and meaningful conversation with their, with their parents each week. How many hours in school? 900. How many hours in front of a TV? 1,064. How many playing video games? 936. And we're going to overcome all that, parent, with less than 10 minutes of significant and meaningful conversation with our children each week. And we wonder why 50 to 88% of the young people raised in the church are gone by the time they're age 18. Guys, this doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure it out. By the way, if that number increased, guess what other number is going to have to decrease? Any of those others, which is a good thing. But let me finish the rest of the quote. If you remove the mother, you can measure the statistic in seconds. 
ladies, forgive me. I need to talk to the men for a second. I mean, no disrespect to you, ladies. Gentlemen, 50 to 88% of our kids raised in the church are gone by the time they're age 18. We want to complain about the White House, Schoolhouse, and the Church House. The problem is not the White House, Schoolhouse, Church House. The problem is you're in my house. And until we men are willing to man up, look in the mirror and say, not on my dime, these are my children, they're my responsibility to raise in the fear and admonition of the Lord, and I get involved, does that mean I kick mom to the curb? No. Does that mean that I can't let the school help me? No. Does that mean I can't have the church help me? No. But that means me, Father, I have to be the spiritual head. I have to be engaged in this process. I cannot abdicate my responsibility to somebody else and think it's going to get done right. Until we're willing to do that, you're not going to see this thing change. And ladies, I mean no disrespect to you, but I got to talk to men sometimes. I know there's probably some single parents out here, and predominantly it's usually single ladies, and you're like, so, oh, man, really, you're disrespecting me. No, I'm not. What I'm saying is you guys have an amazing, vibrant, live church, and that means if there's some men in this church that need to step up and help become godly male influences on children that don't have dads. This is a body. This is a family. We pick each other up. We cover for each other when we have weaknesses, and we all have them. Come on, man. This is the last Sunday of 2018, and we were wanting to come in and get rah, rah, fired up, and you're like killing us, man. What do I do? Give up. No. You just wake up and realize there's a problem, because once you realize there's a problem, that's when you can do something. Yes, the numbers are overwhelming. I'll be honest, every 45 minutes, 60 children are going to attempt suicide. <laughs> Almost 80 are going to run away. 21 teenagers have an abortion. Over 1,000 teens take some form of drug. That's overwhelming. So what do we do? We listen to the right voice. We don't listen to the voices that are so negative and downing on us. You guys are blessed, I mean this seriously, to live in this area, to have a church that is this vibrant Bible teaching you take it for granted. I'm guaranteeing you that you take this for granted. This is not normal, guys. Your pastor's not normal. <laughs> that sounds bad. But it's true. When they told me yesterday before the first service that I had an hour to speak, I'm like, what? An hour? I go to churches where they're trying to get me to do 10-minute power messages. And you think you're going to overcome 900 hours of school, 1,064, 936, and 10-minute power messages? You get solid teaching. You are blessed. You have the right voice. I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you to do something with it now. Because it's very easy to just sit and consume and not produce. My challenge is very specific. This is the 28th of December. you got a couple days left in this year. Here's my challenge to you. I pray that you go to the New Year's party. I really mean that. But here's what I want you to turn that New Year's party into. Between now and the snow palace, if I heard that right, ice palace, I'm not from here. Share the gospel with somebody. One person, that's it, just one person. Share the gospel over the next couple of days, and then when you get at the ice palace, talk with each other. Tell them the experience that you had. Any of you going to eat out over the, up until New Year's, going to go eat at a restaurant? Anybody in here going to eat out? Pray for your waiter. Pray for your waitress. You do that, and you see me a year from now, you will hug me, you will thank me. I've had, I can't tell you the exact number, but I'll tell you right now, it's a minimum of three ladies who broke down in tears in the last six months from a simple, I'm going to pray and give thanks for my food. How can I pray for you today? We live in such a time of darkness that just a little tiny ray of light shines. Then when you get together, share what you had. Share the responses that you get. Oh, we're in California. We don't do that. Get over it. <laughs> you're a Christian first. You're a California last. Talk to somebody. Share the gospel. You, 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 you are the light of the world. You have a message of hope. His name is Jesus. The greatest gift I honestly believe that we can give 
and I know the Christmas season is over, but I still think we can give gifts, is a gift of confidence in the Lord's word. His word is true from the beginning, and you can trust it. Road to Emmaus, you know this historical account, not Bible story, historical account. Two men, been following Jesus, they take off. The day that he told them he was coming back, they didn't get it. They were close. They were right there. They leave. Jesus comes up to them on the road. He starts talking to them. You know this account. You've had this teaching. Pastor Mike does the really good teaching. I'm just kind of the... Jesus starts talking to them. What are you all talking about? And the guy looks at him like, what, are you new or something? Are you the only one that's not been around Jerusalem? You don't know what's happened over the last few days? Things are going crazy for you. It's out of control. We don't understand it. Oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? Let me give you this picture. Take this with you. Watch what Jesus does when everything's crazy and you need a place to get back in control. Watch what Jesus does. Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And watch what he does. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them all the scriptures and things concerning himself. In order for them to understand what Jesus Christ had to come and do on the cross to die for us, he had to take them back to the very beginning so they could understand why he had to come and do what he did. This is your starting point for craziness. Why do we see in the world what we see in the world today? This isn't just reading. Praise God, you're gonna read it every day. Praise God. Apply. Carl, Christianity is disappearing. I mean, come on, man. It's, the churches are a thousand churches a month are closing their doors. Christianity is disappearing. None is the fastest growing religion in America right now. None. Oh, what are we going to do? Jesus Christ turned the world upside down with 12 people. There are more than 12 people in this room right now. And if you have a here my Lord send me attitude, I'm telling you, Jesus Christ will turn your community, your family upside down. But it will take obedience and listening to the right voice. Whose voice are you listening to? I'm not chucking stones at you. I'm asking me that because tomorrow at 6.05, I get on an airplane headed back to Kentucky, and my prayer, I don't ever pray it, but if I could, I would pray that the person that I sit next to doesn't show up for the flight, number one, or number two, gets on the plane wearing headphones so that I don't have to talk to them. Because what you see standing up here preaching right now is not Carl Kirby. Carl Kirby is one of the most Hiding guys that you'll ever meet. I'm not outgoing until the gospel gets involved. And then it's not me. It's like, Lord, you got to take and do this because me, I want to hide. I don't want to talk to people that I don't know. So don't think that I'm chucking stones at you and I'm trying to make you feel bad and look how good I am. I struggle with this. I had to find tools to make me able to do that. Mine, I'll be honest with you, a wristband. A simple wristband from a village in the Philippines. A man turned the entire village in the Philippines upside down because of uh, wristbands. I share the story, and then it's the gospel. I've given away 10,000 of these things. This is my tool. Find a tool. Find a tool. I don't know what yours is. I didn't even tell the first two audiences that. That's just off the cuff. Find a tool, though. No more silence. We're sold out of a lot of stuff, guys. I apologize. I never know how to, much stuff to bring. Our website is rforh.com. If you'd like any of our things, r4h. Just stands for reasons for hope, r4h.com. There's stuff up on there, but the, the greatest tool I can give you is the free one, and that's that app. Download it, put it to use. Text that 51555 thing. Download that, uh, get that free download. Get in touch with us like that. You can sign up on our mailing list out there because uh, those other debunks are going to come out. Get access to them. I, anybody on my mailing list, I try to get it to them early. I, let, I want them to have it first. So they go do the ministry. Then I open it up to the general public. Remember Craig Wayne Boyd? Old rugged cross, final eight. He, get, he got voted through to the final four. He ended up winning the entire season. But what I found interesting is after he sang the old rugged cross, after the singer sings, the judges will make comments to him, right? For those of you that haven't seen the show. One of the judges was Pharrell Williams, who's very popular in the culture. He's not a Christian. I'm not attacking him. That's his own admission. He wrote it. I read it. I'm a universalist. He was raised in the church, but he doesn't believe in Jesus Christ. Okay? Pharrell 
made some interesting comments to Craig Wayne Boyd after he sang that song. I want you to hear him. Uh, let's start with Pharrell. What'd you think? Man, Craig, I get it, man. To God be the glory. I just... Amen. Going through, going through everything that you've gone through to get, your, get yourself here at this place, I have a question for you. What does it feel like to be at the top of your game and to surrender it to God in front of the whole entire world? My jaw was like, what? This is not Christian TV. He's not a Christian. Is that a silver platter to preach the gospel? Hey, we're wrapping up. You got to talk to me. Is it not? I got to make sure you're awake. I don't want you sleep driving, man. What an amazing opportunity. Would you like to hear how he responded? Yes. Not going to show you. Nope. I don't care how loud you get. I'm not going to show you. Because it doesn't matter how he responded. The question is this, Carl. I'm not attacking you. Carl, are you living your life in such a way that the lost would even think to ask you that question? Or have you become so good at blending in, you become an undercover Christian that you can get through the week? Whew, nobody found out I'm a Christian. Yes, it's a good week. No more undercover Christianity. You want to change this culture? It's going to take people that are willing to stand up and take some shots. I will let you see a gentleman that did answer a question. I was wrong the last couple sessions. I said it was ESPN, but on CNN, Benjamin Watson, CNN, something good off of CNN. Yes, sir. Remember Ferguson? All the rioting and the racial tension. Benjamin Watson, football player. What are we going to do? How are we going to resolve this? The black, the white, how are we going to solve this issue? I want you to hear how Mr. Benjamin Watson answered that question. How can we, you know, black, white, whatever, improve this? Well, I, I, honestly, I think I, I point to it in the very last paragraph that I read. And, and I'm encouraged because things aren't the way they used to be. You know, we all have grandparents that, that told us how things were. We've all seen documentaries. We are definitely making progress. But I think on an individual, on a, uh, on a micro level, the issue is not really skin. The issue is sin. And I, I firmly believe that the issue is that internally we are flawed, internally we need salvation from our sin. Internally, our sin makes us prideful. It makes us judgmental. It makes us prejudiced, which leads to racism. It makes us lash out at people that don't look like us. It makes us look past, look past evidence to protect people that look like us. It, it makes us do all those things. It makes us lash out in anger. It makes us point finger. It, 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 it wow. makes us, our sin that's in us makes us do those things. And the only, the only salvation for this sin is the gospel. The only way to really cure that was on the inside is understanding that Jesus Christ died for our sins. And so, the, to me, on a micro level, it's understanding. It. Oh, just like that, we lost him. I know, I heard you guys rapping me. I just couldn't let him go. Benjamin Watson, thank you so much. Good luck at the game Sunday. I'm Brooke Baldwin. See you Monday. Jim Shudo, up next. Just like that, we lost him. Tell us plainly. Look, guys, the... the, the the issue is the same, as in Jesus' day as it is in our day. I'm not saying that when you walk out here and you start talking to somebody that they might reject you, they might mock you, they might ridicule you. I'm not going to say that. But understand this, that when they mock, ridicule, reject, it's not you that they're doing it to. It's him. And his shoulders are broad enough to take it. I mean, he was strong enough to take a couple nails for us, take a beating for us. He's strong enough to take some people mocking. So don't get ridiculed. Don't get diminished into silence because of what you think somebody might say about you. Mm -mm. Take the great teaching that you're getting here and start living it. Please, I honestly challenge you because I'm taking the challenge. If I'm going to challenge you, I'm going to do it. Share the gospel with somebody before New Year's. Father, I lift it up to you. You know my heart. I just pray, God, that you would use the words that were spoken, not as a club to beat people up with, Lord, hopefully as a challenge to people to encourage them. Here we are, Lord. Use us and send us.
Pray for Pastor Mike while he's got some downtime here. Encourage him, Lord. I pray for this church with this much growth. It's so amazing. It's so exciting. But that also can open up opportunities for Satan to try and inject his, his, his little toe in. Want to stir things up. Don't give him that, that toehold, Lord. Bless this church. Bless these folks. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.